This is CPX number 97, The Fifth Commandment. This is the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 121 123, question and answer number 1 through 12. God give you his peace, in omni patris, affidit, spiritu santi, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us, and save us, you who are all good, amen. In nomine Patris Ephides, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. The Fifth Commandment, number one. What is the Fifth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill, forbid? The Fifth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill, forbids us to kill, strike, wound, or do any other bodily harm to our neighbor, either of ourselves or by the agency of others, as also to wish him evil or to offend him by injurious language. In this commandment, God also forbids the taking of one's own life or suicide. Number two, why is it a grave sin to kill one's neighbor? Answer, because the slayer unjustly invades the right which God alone has over the life of man, because such a person destroys the security of civil society, and because he deprives his neighbor of life, which is the greatest natural good on earth. Number three, are there cases in which it is lawful to kill? Answer, it is lawful to kill when fighting in a just war, and when carrying out by order of the supreme authority a sentence of death and punishment of a crime, and finally, in cases of necessary and lawful defense of one's own life against an unjust aggressor. Number four, does God also forbid us in the fifth commandment to do harm to the spiritual life of another? Answer, yes, in the fifth commandment, God also forbids us to do harm to another's spiritual life by scandal. Number five, what is scandal? Answer, scandal is any word, act, or omission which is the occasion of another's committing sin. Number six, is scandal a grave sin? Answer, scandal is a grave sin because by causing the loss of souls, it tends to destroy the greatest work of God, namely the redemption. It affects the death of another soul by depriving of the life of grace, which is more precious than the life of the body, and is the source of a multitude of sins. Hence, God threatens the severest chastisement to those who would give scandal. Number seven, why does God in the fifth commandment forbid the taking of one's own life or suicide? Answer, in the fifth commandment, God forbids suicide because man is not the master of his own life, no more than the life of another. Hence, the church punishes suicide by deprivation of Christian burial. Number eight, is dueling also forbidden by the fifth commandment? Answer, yes, dueling is also forbidden by the fifth commandment because dueling has in it the guilt both of suicide and of homicide, and whoever voluntarily takes part in it, even as a simple onlooker, is excommunicated. Number nine, is dueling also forbidden when there is no danger of being killed? Answer, this sort of dueling is also forbidden because not only are we forbidden to kill, but even voluntarily to wound ourselves or others. Number ten, is the defense of one's honor an excuse for dueling? Answer, no, because it is not true that the offense is repaired by dueling and because honor cannot be repaired by an unjust, irrational, and barbarous act such as dueling. Number 11, what does the fifth commandment command? Answer, the fifth commandment commands us to forgive our enemies and to wish well to all. Number 12, what should he do who has injured another in the life of either body or soul? Answer, he who has injured another must not only confess his sin, but must also repair the harm by compensating his neighbor for the loss he has sustained, by retracting the errors taught, and by giving good example. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. And now for a little bit of my own commentary on this. First, you may have noticed that little section on dueling might have sounded a little bit antiquated. 
But that's good proof how the deposit of the faith never changes, but its application to different times can take on new emphasis from age to age. Now, of course, nowadays, no two enemies duel it out with guns or swords. So we hardly understand why Pope St. Pius X spent three questions and answers on it. But it was a big deal back then. I personally think that if Pope St. Pius X lived today, he would have spent a lot more time on today's section on scandal, how a priest or a bishop or higher teaching the wrong Catholic faith, or even giving the impression of such, is a sin against the fifth commandment. That's why I always say that we're going to answer to God not just for the denotation we give, but the connotation too. Again, the denotation is the definition of a word or a sentence. The connotation is the feelings behind it. So if a priest or a bishop or someone higher even implies something against the traditional Catholic faith, he is killing souls, especially the the souls of children, those who are most teachable. Pope St. Pius X probably would have spent 20 questions on today if he had foreseen how many people in the hierarchy in the 21st century would be killing souls by scandal, by, by teaching the wrong thing. And he did say that scandal on teaching is killing today. Isn't that amazing? Remember, St. James writes this at the beginning of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Okay, now think about it for a minute. You know, St. James is the one who went to Spain. Well, why would he say not many of you should become teachers if he brought the faith to a place in the first century that really needed other bishops and priests as teachers? Well, because he realized it's better to have no teachers than bad teachers of the Catholic faith. And notice Pope St. Pius X said that it causes scandal if you even refrain from correcting another's bad teaching or scandal. Why? Because this is omission. He used the word omission today under the topic of killing souls. Very serious words right there. So even though I stick by my earlier insistence in a previous CPX that really the Catholic faith is super simple to teach and it's super easy to digest, I also believe that modernists are experts at twisting this So if you make the mistake of going in their complex direction, you will greatly harm the faith of children, possibly your own children. And that's why you can just never go wrong with traditional Catholicism. Now, you can listen to new stuff, and it's a crapshoot. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but you do take your soul and that of your family into your own hands. So sorry to say this, but I always tell people, just read books published before 1950. Okay, now, why is this so important to only teach the truth, especially to kids? Because... Christ has the most severe words in the gospel for this. You all have heard this if you've listened to anyone trying to reform the church now, but I'm going to say it again. This is what Christ says of those who would harm the faith of a child. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Okay, so when a a priest teaches the wrong faith, he kills a soul. Even if he's doing it by accident or even if he's doing it under obedience, he is still killing souls. And remember, if a human court like Nuremberg does not give you a pass for for obedience, for doing the wrong thing, I'm pretty sure the particular judgment and the general judgment are not going to give a pass for obeying people who are heretics. Okay, now let's look at murder and killing in the physical sense now. Um, So maybe don't have kids listen from this point on unless they're teenagers. I do think teenagers need to know these things. But we are going to talk about physical killing now. Um, 
Okay, so first, what is murder? Murder is taking an innocent person's life. We're going to talk about this physically. So we don't have a, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this since none of you are probably tempted to go out and just bludgeon an innocent person with a bat tonight. That's why we're going to look at a few of the stickier situations. First, realize that the church also includes destroying someone's reputation as a violation of the fifth and eighth commandment. And this is why if you have destroyed someone's reputation, and that doesn't mean talking bad about a public figure. I mean, even Jesus called Herod a fox. So if you have commentary on public people doing public things, that's different. But if you are privately revealing hidden mortal sins, as you've heard me say before, St. Ignatius of Loyola says, not just for us, I mean, if we priested that from the confession, we're also excommunicated. But I'm even talking just lay people revealing private mortal sins of another, unless safety is involved or it's a public sin, revealing private hidden mortal sins just for the sake of destroying someone's reputation is a mortal sin. So the Pope put that today under the fifth commandment, killing someone's reputation. And if So that's detraction. If you speak hidden mortal sins in a true way, it's detraction. If you lie about somebody, that's called calumny. calumny and that's even worse. Um, that truly is a sin against the fifth commandment because you're destroying someone's reputation with lies. And you will have a hot coal in hell to sit on for a long time, forever, if, if you're doing that. So as the Pope made clear today, you can't just go to confession to that. For your confession to be valid, you have to make reparation for that person's good name if you've destroyed it. We're talking about private sins. I don't mean ripping on a politician. Um, revealing private sins or even worse, speaking lies of somebody that are not true you can't just go to confession. For that confession to be valid, you have to repair the damage you've done as best you can. Okay, let's get back to physical killing since I discussed a lot of the sins of the tongue on a previous VLX. Secondly, we have to remember, and I can back up this from my time in medicine, in vitro fertilization called IVF and the IUD and the oral contraceptive pill are all wrong not only because they're artificial birth control. A lot of the enemies of the church say, oh, you're just against stuff that's artificial. No, 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 no. These things are wrong primarily because they murder children in the uterus and the laboratory. Let me say that again. IVF and IUD and the oral contraceptive all kill children. That's, that's why these are violations of the fifth commandment. Okay, and for the last section today, let's look at a few times where killing is not considered murder. I know that sounds like a weird sentence, but you have to remember the Old Testament and the New Testament both consider that there is a difference between killing and murder. Killing is sometimes permitted. Murder is never permitted. What's the difference? Um, murder, again, is uh, killing an innocent person. Killing is killing an innocent or non-innocent person. And that's where sometimes it's permitted. Not that we get to judge who's innocent. You're going to hear why this is very very nuanced what the Pope says here. So he only gives us three times when killing another human being is not a sin. So we're just going to go through those, um, those three things point by point. The first thing the Pope says is, it is lawful to kill when fighting in a just war. Okay, now I'm going to give my commentary on this. You think someone going off and fighting for the Nazis could just claim again at the particular judgment, oh, well, I just had to do it for the fatherland. No, that doesn't really work um, because that was an unjust war and they were led by an unjust leader. And they had, unfortunately, by that point, and I'm half German, so I don't like to say this, but um, they had become an unjust nation at that point. Um, the other half of me is Irish. And thankfully, all my family had come over before any participation in any of that. Um, but could you fight for the Nazis and just claim that this was a just war? No. So you, if you are thinking of the military, you have to decide 
if you believe in what your country currently stands for, not what she stood for 200 years ago. So how about the U.S. now? Well, I have many good friends in the U.S. military who I love, I love them dearly, and I totally support our troops. But where our country's going now, I'm sorry, but I have to dissuade young men from entering the military now, and young women. To fight a just war, as Pope St. Pius X said, you have to live in a just nation to justify taking life on behalf of that nation. And we're just not in a just nation anymore. So I don't see how you can justly kill abroad for a nation, namely the United States, that kills several million of our own children a year. And of course, that's been the case since 1973. But on top of that now, we have the U.S. military purposefully botching foreign missions like what we did in Afghanistan, handing over hundreds of millions of dollars to terrorists who want the destruction of our country. That is why I say you should not enter the U.S. military because I don't see how you can answer to God for killing at the hands of a country that's become as unjust as what we're doing right now. Now, I know some traditionalists would say to me, well, we've always been unjust. What do you expect for a country founded on Freemasonic principles? And maybe you're right. Maybe you're just a couple steps ahead of me on all of this. But I personally think we were justified in entering World War II. Of course, I believe that handing over the reins to Stalin, as Churchill did, that killed more people than the Nazis were. Communism killed more people than the Nazis, 14 times more. So obviously, that was a bad option. But I still think at the time the U.S. got involved in the U.S. in World War II, that our troops could say they were fighting a just war. It doesn't mean everything they did was just, but I think our troops in World War II could say they were fighting a just war. So no, I don't personally believe we could, we could always say that about our country. But as we hand over hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment to the Taliban, as we have our own people in prison for a so-called insurrection for standing against a communist coup, no, you cannot go fight and kill for this country anymore. Okay, let's see when else putting someone to death is permitted in the Catechism today. The Pope writes, When carrying out by order of the supreme authority a sentence of death in punishment of a crime. Now again, notice that the Old Testament and the New Testament both promote the death penalty as permitted. One reason I will not do a series on the 1992 Catechism is because it is flip-flopped on the death penalty several times. Even beginning this flip-flopping under Pope John Paul II, even before the really wacky stuff started a couple years ago. And by the way, talking about this series, I'm really excited for the next series on this called Catechism of the Council of Trent. I'm going to call it CCT. And of course, we have to remember all of these old catechisms like Catechism of Pius X, CPX, and Catechism of the Council of Trent, CCT, they are all pro-death penalty. Sorry if you don't like that. That's our faith. It's in the Bible. It's what the fathers say. It's what the popes, at least 250 of them, promoted. And I was against this for a long time myself, but I finally submitted to the truth. This is our Catholic faith. And finally, the last topic on when it might be okay to take someone's life. The Pope said today, it is lawful to kill in cases of necessary and lawful defense of one's own life against an unjust aggressor. Now let's look a little bit deeper into this in classic church teaching. Here's an awesome kind of long quote from Thomas Aquinas. He says this in the Summa Theologica, second part of the second part, question 64, article 7. Quote, Accordingly, the act of self-defense may have two effects. One is that of saving one's life. The other is the slaying of an aggressor. Therefore, this act since one's intention is to save one's own life, is not unlawful 
seeing that it is natural to everything to keep itself in being as far as possible, and yet, though proceeding from a good intention, an act may be rendered unlawful if it be out of proportion to the end. Wherefore, if a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence, it will be unlawful. Whereas, if he repel force with moderation, his defense will be lawful, because, according to the jurists, it is lawful to repel force by force, provided one does not exceed the limits of a blameless defense. Nor is it necessary for salvation that a man omit the act of moderate self-defense in order to avoid killing the other man, since one is bound to take more care of one's own life than of another's. So there's a lot to unpack there. First, St. Thomas said that excessive force is unlawful if it be out of proportion to the end. And then secondly, notice that Thomas Aquinas wrote, it is lawful to to repel force by force provided one does not exceed the limits of a blameless defense. Now, notice that proportionate self-defense might differ from culture to culture based on, say, the speed of the criminal's violence in your particular culture and the level of weapons that they're armed with. Um, The next thing I'm going to tell you here, we're going to just look at the practical application. What I'm about to give you is just what a cop friend informed me, how he would apply Thomas Aquinas if, say, someone broke into his house at night. This is not my moral advice to you. It's not my legal advice to you. It's certainly not my home diocese legal advice to you. It's just applying what I learned from some cop friends, from my time on the ambulance, and from some of the YouTube videos I watch of Special Forces guys who talk about self-defense. And we're just going to apply what they say and see if we can make this gel with Thomas Aquinas in a practical way. So this is just me reporting what military people say not me giving you moral or legal advice, just to be clear on that. In fact, I actually texted a couple good Catholic cops that I know and asked them what they would do if someone broke into their house. Where would they shoot? And the guy who has studied St. Thomas Aquinas the most, he gave the clearest answer. He just replied on text, quote, you aim to stop the aggressor, we're taught to shoot center mass, end quote. Now, my suspicion here is you shoot center mass since a wounded suspect is a non-neutralized threat, especially in a world of firearms and extremely fast violence like we have in the United States right now. I think we could make the argument that even St. Thomas Aquinas would see this as proportionate, shooting center mass if someone broke into your house. But we also have to consider uh, more than just what is morally permitted right now. We also have to consider local civil laws. So for example, In my state, if you shoot an intruder in your home and then call the police after taking him down, it's you going to jail in handcuffs in a squad car to jail, even if you're cleared later, even if you're cleared that night. Even gun owners are now afraid to shoot someone breaking into their homes because our country is favoring the criminals more and more. I'm not saying I like this trajectory, but you just have to consider more than Aquinas if you, say, don't want to be taken to prison away from the very family you thought you were protecting. Still, of course, a man is obliged, most certainly, to protect his family, especially in his own home. Um, So I'm, of course, not dissuading you from self-defense either. Okay, let's talk about just walking out in public alone when, say, trouble finds you. Jocko Willink, that is the Navy SEAL who used to run buds for the SEAL teams, he says that if someone were to threaten him in public, even he, this guy who's got a neck the size of my thighs, 
one of the most highly trained Navy SEALs, he says that if someone, if he's on a subway and someone looks at him like they want to start a fight with him, even this guy says he's going to de-escalate um, a situation like that. Maybe, and I mean, he's not going to run from the guy. He'll stare him down, maybe give him a little nod is what he said on the video. Um, but he's going to aim for de-escalation first. Now, granted, violence is a thousand times faster than most of you realize. You know, in the movies, you see it coming. You got a few seconds but one thing I've learned as a paramedic, and especially from my military friends, is violence is extremely, extremely, extremely quick. It's not like the movies. So you do need a plan. But most martial arts uh, experts and, and weapons experts that I watch online, the really tip-top advanced ones, not the ones that have something to prove, but the ones um, who have actually seen a lot of combat, they say, for example, if, if you have a gun and a mugger has a knife and he wants to rob you of your wallet... These highly trained special forces guys say, just give over your wallet. Don't shoot him. Why? Because it's not worth killing someone and going to prison, especially in our current liberal country, besides the fact you don't want blood on your hands spiritually or physically, um, just for a wallet. Uh, because here's the thing. Many laws, many states' laws don't care who pulled a weapon first. Um, we're in a very lawless state right now, and you have to think about that if you're going to get taken away from your eight kids just for your wallet. Now, if it's defending your eight kids, that's different than defending your wallet, of course. Um, and remember, too, you know, um, Jocko Willink was even talking about non-weapons-based violence. I mean, this guy could collapse my larynx with his pinky finger. Well, just think about it. Collapsing a mugger's larynx with your fist, even if it's justified, will lead to years in prison or at least years of lawyers and lawsuits. And you don't want that. Morality aside, I'm just talking practically you don't want this. So you can't just cold cut apply Aquinas here. You also have to realize that we are in a world of extremely fast violence, so you do need a plan, but a world that is becoming more and more favorable to the criminal, so you also have to take that into account. So besides the fact that Aquinas would probably um, call, say, taking a gun to a knife fight or a collapse larynx for a simple mugging, disproportionate means you probably still want to avoid violence in public at all costs, considering the fact that the U.S., again, is freeing criminals and jailing innocent citizens as quote-unquote insurrectionists. I'm not saying it's just, but you need to realize this is not the America of John Wayne anymore. Yes, even the toughest special forces guys I watch on YouTube would say de-escalate unless there's need for immediate reaction to save your life or your family's life. And this is where we look to St. Thomas Aquinas um, on that. So let's just, let's just close there on the three most important theological quotes on killing out of self-defense. And then I'll give you these three goalposts, and then you can come up with a plan for your family based on the little bit I gave you before here, but primarily on these three mile markers, we'll call them. So the first is Pope St. Pius X. He says, it is lawful to kill in cases of necessary and lawful defense of one's own life against an unjust aggressor. I'm going to give you two quotes from Thomas Aquinas. First is, Aquinas said, excessive force is unlawful, unlawful if it be out of proportion to the end. And then, last quote, Thomas Aquinas wrote, quote, It is lawful to repel force by force, provided one does not exceed the limits of a blameless defense, end quote. And both of those are from the Summa, second part of the second part, question 64, article 7. Um, so, you know, closing this, just a couple of thoughts here. 
Today, the philosophy of the police is that a wounded perpetrator is still a non-neutralized threat. And I can get behind that. I get that. Because I think if St. Thomas Aquinas saw our world, if he had a if he had a time machine to go 800 years in the future to where we are now, I think he'd be shocked at the extremely fast violence of the criminals, the level of firepower that they have. And I, I tend to think he would agree with my cop friend that stopping an aggressor may not always be accomplished by shooting at the legs. In any case, the point on all of this is you have to have a Catholic plan on self-defense, and especially you have to have a plan for that one time in life that moves too fast to formulate a plan. Please say an Our Father for me at benedictio de omnipotentis. Pace et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>